Shalom and welcome to Torah to the People, a podcast from Temple Israel in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm Rabbi Micah Greenstein. We hope you enjoy this selection of our sermons, classes, and conversations with inspiring people from across the Bluff City and around the world. Friends, on the campus of the Hebrew Union College in Cincinnati, where I returned for 24 hours last Wednesday, a fascinating incident occurred 100 years ago. The scene took place by the doorway of what was then the Sisterhood Dormitory, where a young group of then rabbinic students were waiting for their famed teacher, Dr. Lauterbach. Dr. Lauterbach's specialty in Jewish scholarship was the rabbinic period, but he was also a staunch defender of classical reform Judaism and debunking superstitions. In his writings, Dr. Lauterbach went to great lengths to point out the superstitious underpinnings of some traditional Jewish belief and practice, what some might call orthodoxy. My professor, mentor, my son's namesake of blessed memory, Jacob Rader Marcus, was there at the time, and he recalled seeing Dr. Lauterbach on the other side of the glass entry door to the sisterhood dormitory, frozen in silence. Why? Apparently, a black cat stood at the threshold of the doorway between Dr. Lauterbach and his students, and Lauterbach would not pass the path of the cat. A student yelled from the other side, Dr. Lauterbach, how can a professor who specializes in demystifying superstitions refuse to walk across a doorway just because a black cat is there? The European Rabbi Lauterbach shrugged his shoulders and with a sheepish look on his face said to his students, why take chances? Many of us may be under the impression that superstitious practices are prohibited in Judaism, and that impression would be supported by the liturgy of the Reformed Prayer Book, which reads in the English, fervently we pray that the day will come when superstition shall no longer enslave the mind, nor idolatry blind the eye. So, how can a Jew believe that astrology and astronomy can influence a person's life when Judaism teaches that God and good deeds by humans are the determining factor. The truth of the matter is that while many superstitious beliefs are incompatible with the Jewish view of the universe, a whole series of superstitious practices found their way 
into Judaism. Superstitions surrounding birth and childhood persist in some Jewish households where it's considered the worst of luck to have a crib or other baby supplies in the house before the baby is born. In some Jewish homes today, you may not have heard of this. I know several of you wise teachers do. Even a red ribbon is tied around the handle of a baby carriage or around the crib of a baby as a protective charm against the evil eye. Other beliefs centered around lucky or unlucky times. Tuesday, for instance, is the only day of creation in the Torah, twice referred to as a day in which God said it was good, very good. So Tuesday is therefore considered a lucky day in Jewish folklore. And I found this out firsthand when I lived in Israel and I was walking through a park with my Israeli friends and I noticed a bunch of wedding couples strolling through the park like it was a movie set. So I turned to my friend Yossi and asked, what's going on here? And he replied, what do you mean? It's, it's Tuesday. I said, why, of course, I said, not having the foggiest notion what he was talking about. Yossi then shared that his dad always made an effort to close business deals on Tuesdays because it was apparently good luck day. Another folk belief which gained a firm belief in rabbinic literature is the notion of the evil eye. Most people are familiar with the expression knock on wood, which is a reference to the cross in Christianity, even though people don't take it that way. The Jewish parallel is Cain ein hara, no evil eye, or in Mississippi Yiddish, Kanahura. <laughs> Our Jewish ancestors really were fearful of tempting evil spirits to anger. They believed that an envious person could cast an evil spell on your luck or health. So Kanahura was said to thwart such demons. And my favorite story related to Kanahora is this one related by the humorist Leo Rostin. An elderly Jew is on the witness stand. The district attorney asks, how old are you? I am Kanahora, 81. What was that? I said, I'm Kanahura, 81. Just answer the question, said the DA sharply. Nothing else. Now, how old are you? Kanahura, 81, said the older man. The judge got involved and said, the witness will answer the question and only the question without additional comment or be held in contempt of court. Up rises the counsel for defense, your honor, May I please ask the question? Proceed. The counsel turns to the older man. Kanohura, how old are you? 81, said the old man. <laughs> <laughs> to the ancient mind, there was also an urge to believe, in case you didn't know, that our fates were written in the sky. And when I was assigned this Shabbat and I noticed that it's gonna be a full moon. It's the 15th of Tammuz on July 4th this year, which means 
the night before, it's going to be a completely full moon. And the Torah mentions astrologers and stargazers. You can check me on this in the book of Isaiah, chapter 47, verse 13, and the book of Daniel, chapter 2, verse 2. Some of our ancestors believed that the relative position of the stars on the day you were born determine your character for good or ill. This may not sound much like Judaism, but I want to read to you from the Talmud in Tractate Shabbat, page 156a. Listen to this. Pardon the sexism. He who is born under Venus will be wealthy. He who is born under Mercury will be wise. He who is born under Mars will be violent. In several places in the Talmud, it says that every person born has a particular star that watches over us from birth. And guess what that star is called? Mazel. And the remnant of this belief in astrological luck is preserved in the shouting of Mazel Tov, Mazal Tov, on any joyous occasion. There were attempts by the rabbis when you study Jewish history to eradicate mazel tov and other superstitious practices which they felt were alien to Judaism, this idea of a star over your head and fates. I think now people who shout mazel tov at the end of a Jewish wedding, they mean good luck more than the stars are hopefully with you. But to this day, in some cultures, rice and nuts are thrown at couples at the end of weddings because rice and nuts are considered symbols of fertility. So what to make of these superstitious inheritances? We who know lots of stuff our ancestors did not know, like our ancestors thought that the heavens circle the earth. Thanks to modern science, we now know, we know that the sun does not travel around us, we revolve around it. Science has taught us that the universe is a limitless system in which any point can be the center, so the stars are not out there just for us. And yet today, if you want to go into a business, tarot cards, palm readers, astrologers, big-time professions in America. Our society has become like the cartoon showing a little girl, the cartoon, sharing her diary with friends. And the little girl says, this diary is one book where I wish it were possible to peek in the back and see how it comes out. As tempting as that may sound, can you conceive of anything more boring than that? Rabbi Sidney Greenberg of Blessed Memory writes, and I quote, if you and I know what was going to happen tomorrow and the day after and on all the tomorrows that are to be, wouldn't life lose its zest and excitement? Wouldn't a terrible boredom set in as we played out mechanically the roles that had been predetermined for us? 
the most compelling reason that no one can predict the future is that the future does not exist. You and I are not robots, Greenberg writes. We have freedom of will to determine the shape of tonight and tomorrow by what we do today. I think Rabbi Greenberg sums up very well the conflict between the premise of fortune-telling and a fundamental idea of Judaism. What the future has in store for us does not depend on the stars or the cards, but on our own actions. How we live and what we do will determine the shape of things to come more than any horoscope. An astronomer can predict precisely where every star will be at 11.30 tonight. He just can't make a similar prediction about where his college-age daughter will be at 11.30 tonight. Does this mean that we should stop shouting Mazel Tov? Absolutely not. Nor should we abandon the fortune cookie at the end of a great Chinese or other Asian meal, even if most of the fortune cookie lines are repeats. An old Jewish proverb teaches, I love this quote, better an ounce of mazel than a pound of gold. Let's face it, most of life depends on luck, sheer luck, including our health and livelihood. It's hard enough to achieve family happiness and rewarding work without a little luck. So what's wrong with a little mazel? Perhaps instead of depending on horoscopes or giving up our power to change the future course of events to the stars, we ought to do in closing what the early rabbinic sages taught. We ought to pray like we're doing tonight, as if everything depends on God and a little luck. But let's act as if everything depends on us. The future is for you and me to shape. And not even the Big Dipper can change that. Amen.